What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Frequency Podcast. I'm your host, Frankie J. Lopez. Hope you're all doing well. Before we get into it, please follow the podcast page, allow for notifications, rate the podcast. Also, follow me on social media at Frequency Podcast Network. We're on Instagram, we're on TikTok. Consistent content, including a few album reviews that don't make the podcast. We got a special guest in the house today out of Woodbridge, Virginia, rapper Saki. My man, Saki, how you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm feeling great. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. (laughs) I saw on Instagram (laughs) that you had your first headlining show last night in DC. How did that go? Yeah, no, it was it was it was crazy, man. It was crazy. It was one of like the the bigger plans I had for the year to knock out. So being able to do it in the venue we did it, it was special, man. Special for sure. Why is that? Talk to me a little bit about the venue. Gotcha. Well, yeah, so Songbird, at least in the DC area, is like I think if you if you're a budding artist, you're gonna stop there. So perfect. Um, Koo Chice just did hit one of his tour stops nice. there. There's a group called Van Buren. They're budding out of um, Massachusetts. They constantly do stops at um, Songbird, and so yeah, it's just kind of like a lot of industry people, like people who are assigned to labels. That's like a stopping point if you're coming to DC and you can't do a 500 rooms you know what i mean like the next level of rooms but you're still in that budding area yet you stop there and i'm completely independent and we we got it ourselves we didn't pack it out as in the sense of like selling it out but we, we definitely packed it out and we had a lot of people in there and it was just put me on a high it's pretty close to home right oh yeah for sure yeah it's like 45 without traffic with traffic it was like an hour but yeah it wasn't I'm always up in DC. Actually, it actually was my second time headlining in DC because my first time was also this summer. I did a smaller venue and it was the pocket and we sold that one out. Yeah, it's just been a year of milestones. Coming off of a headlining show, any favorite tracks that you performed live? Any tracks that were like, damn, oh, I didn't expect it to get this reaction and it did? Yeah, nah. So I dropped my my lead single for this, the tape we're going to be talking about. Um, I dropped that three months ago and when we went into making the the ep me and brandon really like put emphasis um brandon's the executive producer um brandon john but we made an emphasis on choruses that people can sing back to you you know choruses that are catchy because he he just really made a point that my courses weren't that good and so my biggest goal was making sure that i had something like that and yeah now one of the craziest moments was and I'm very hands-on, so like I'd normally be a person and be like, "Hey, to my girlfriend in the crowd, maybe sing this part loud, and maybe everybody can sing with you." <laughs> but I I didn't do that, and um, everybody was just singing back to me. Um, angels don't call me like the the intro um, mm-hmm. portion where it's just like, um, "Can I have a piece of your love?" And Bro, I was just like, stuck in my "Oh, head all day." <laughs> <laughs> now that's crazy. But see, that's crazy to me because you know it's like to see the music do exactly what you hoped for it to do and then like physically like you know for the first time performing these songs together and people were saying i didn't even sing it myself i literally stopped singing it and i let them sing it and they sang the entire first portion it was yeah that part was insane what a moment man that's beautiful like yeah. my favorite moments are when i'm a part a part of that in the crowd like when everybody around yeah. me is like singing the same words so i can only imagine uh-huh. like from your perspective where it's your words yeah, no, I mean, because I'm just like you. I, I, I'm a fan in the truest words. Like, I, if I go to something, it really means that I'm, like, die hard for it. So, mm-hmm. like, when I went to see Kendrick this year, even, like, we went to go see Mariba, me and my girlfriend. And mm-hmm. it, we were literally the most livest people. We were in the front row. 
every song singing bar for bar to the point where she even noticed us and her one of her people on her team came up to us after and was like yo y'all are like amazing we saw that right. energy we love blah, blah so now so i'm the exact same way so like being able to receive that it's just like it's full circle man it's, it's, it's very much full circle i mean speaking of full circle let's start from the beginning man you're from woodbridge virginia you were in a unique position musically. You got all that Virginia sound from like folks like Neptunes, Missy Elliott, but you were also <laughs> mad close to DC with guys like Wale were doing yeah. their thing. So I'm kind of curious, like what type of stuff were you into growing up? Um, it's actually crazy. I didn't listen to like hip hop or rap music in, in, in the way that I listen to it now. I think I listened mm -hmm. to it passively maybe when I was from like when I was born all the way to like when I was in middle school. Um, I, I normally mainly listen to like, you know, I used to play chess and my dad used to take us on these car rides after my um, chess tournaments and he'd throw on like Tim McGraw. He had the CDs back then. So he put the Tim McGraw CD in, he had the, like the CD joint in his car where he could do like eight CDs or whatever. So he played that or he played like Boys to Men or he played like, you know, just old African music, like older than, you know, what he even was listening to, probably what his parents were listening to. And yeah, no, it was just like some Afro funk fusion type stuff. And and that's really what my ear was, you know, trained to listen to. After that, I transitioned to into like a lot of soft rock, three days grade, just all all that stuff. I it's been so long I don't even like have it off the top of my head. But I listened to that for a while. And then when our future was coming up, I wanna say around my seventh grade, eighth grade year, I really got, you know, pushed into rap that way and that's when i started rapping on the back of the buses and you know everybody really kind of it was like a big rap push especially like rap group stuff push you know for like just us in virginia at least and yeah and that's when i got like those to rap music but a lot of my influences starting off were just everywhere my dad's cds right right i mean all of us right yeah you, and you can definitely hear it in your music super melodic in a lot of ways but you know you spoke of old african music are you a first gen were your parents immigrants Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, my mom and dad are from Ghana. I always forget that because like I didn't, I didn't even know what first gen was until I got to college, and they're like, "Oh, so you're a first generation student?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I think." I feel you. <laughs> I feel you because it's regular. It's regular to us. Oh yeah, I was around for first gen, you know. So I didn't think there was a term to it. I just thought it was a thing, you know. Yeah, where where are your parents from? They're from uh, Dominican Republic. Gotcha, gotcha. I feel you on that kind of being the music that you grew up around. I grew up around like, you know, bachata CDs and things like that. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like the mm -hmm. first sound of music. And then I got introduced to hip hop in a very similar way as you. So my first introduction was like Eminem. That's the deep dive that took off when I heard um, Odd Future. Mm -hmm. I, I ran into same thing eminem all his first like literally i think his first like three four albums i was listening to every single day 50 cent get rich or die trying um i was running through uh all the Kanye. like i was addicted like it was bad like i listened to all first four it was like graduation freaking uh, anyways heartbreak like i was running those records and i had this like little mp3 that my mom got I'd switch out the songs because, like, I just I wear them out. I'd listen to them every day on the bus going to school. And then I upgraded to like you know the iPod, like the the bigger iPods or whatever, and so I could fill more right. songs. But yeah, you know, I ran those songs into the ground type. So now nah, I definitely feel <laughs> you on that. Yeah, I mean, yo, know, I feel like we all had the same experience. <laughs> when did you first start? getting that like inkling to make music have you always felt like making music and like this musical path was for you was there another path that you thought you were going to go down at one point 
Uh, yeah, no, I never actually never thought I was going to be making music. I was more so I thought I was going to be either a lawyer or a pastor or a physical therapist. I think those are like my like, you know, my aspirations, my big goals. Mm -hmm. But then uh, my friend Eric Polite back in, I want to say it was like my sophomore year of high school. He was always musically inclined, right? He went to the musical. Um, we have like a school out here that has like a music program, and his parents really allowed him that, you know, a opportunity to, you know, just get really involved in music, volume, guitars, piano lessons, all that stuff. But we were best friends, and so one day I pull up to his house, and he's playing in Logic or GarageBand back at that time, and I obviously had no idea what that was, and he was just like, "Yo, like we'd be rapping on the bus all the time." Would you want to make a song? Like I, I, I do that now. I'm practicing, you know, da da da. And yeah, we just spent the whole entire afternoon making a song that, for some reason, people still remember in my community. But it's a horrible song. Um, but it was fun, man. And it, it really like. Do people it my that song though? People bring it up to me all the time. I think at the time it was so. This was back when SoundCloud was really, you know, emerging as like the place to drop your music and mm -hmm. to put it in frame of mind. This is like before I feel like numbers have been numbers grown and they become so inflated throughout time. But at that time, like in our community, at least getting a thousand streams organically off of SoundCloud when you just threw a song up was crazy. And we got a thousand mm -hmm. streams and we were just like, what the heck? We were like, what? Like, we didn't do anything. Like, we literally just made this song and he mixed it. It was like, again, it was just not a good song. But, you know, people liked it. And I, I went to school and people brought it up to me and. And that to me really like opened my eyes like, oh, this is fun. You know what I mean? Nothing too serious about it, but it was just like, I could do this on the side. And then gotcha. I ran into my other friends, Cami Dubs, Babe Kojak, and um, they had a group called Feral Gang. And they were the people who made music in my high school. Like they they did it seriously. Everybody knew them. They're like, oh, these guys rap. And obviously it still wasn't really great music as far as like the mixing and stuff, but the ideas were there, the execution was there, you know, just the energy type of thing. So they invited me over one day because they heard I could sing and mm. I sang a little bit and then I sneaked into a song and I rapped a little bit and then, you know, just spend more time together. And yeah, and then we just all started making music. And that was the first time I started really thinking like, okay, like music can go further than just like hobbies. If you like put enough like energy into it and i also just felt like okay i think i'm talented at this so this was like around mm -hmm. high school time and found some article somewhere about you going to college was there yeah. some time where you were like going to like get a degree and having music being like the forefront of what you wanted to do and this was just like a backup that's what's so crazy because like even after you know meeting with my friends at feral gang and stuff i was just like like it's cool but like again you know it as a a, a first generation like it monetary stability for a household is mm -hmm. it's important you know what i mean so for me it was like all right yeah this is cool but i need this thing to fund my hobby because it was still a hobby and then i dropped my first like tape which i mean if you could still find it, i think we were back when we was dropping on that piff i dropped this called like complexity to simplicity i think is what it's called mm -hmm. and i dropped it my freshman year literally all my friends in college was like bro like, that's that's dope you know and they kept talking to me and then and you know, it keeps like I'm like, yeah, but I'm still in school, and like, I'm, school's my thing. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a physical therapist. That's what I was in school for. But then I dropped the song, and this song you can find. It's um, Suicide Bomber. That was like the time where like everything switched. So I dropped that song. Everybody in my community that I knew was listening to it. But then I did a show, like one of my first shows for real, and people I didn't know, like who were at the show, 
were singing the chorus to me. So, like, that's why it's kind of full circle because mm-hmm. how we started this conversation. But it was that thing where like I didn't know them, but they were singing it. And that to me was like, it was literally, the, I think that was when it clicked. And I was like, oh no, I'm doing this. So I was like, I, I, this is my career and I need to figure out how to continue to make it my career. That's crazy. Yeah, no, nah, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, I can only imagine, bro. So, I mean, great segue. Let's just get right into the music. So, I believe your second EP, Angels Don't Call Me, yeah. dropped October 11th. How you feel the reception has been so far? Oh, insane. Absolutely. Beyond anything I could have expected. It's sometimes I feel like as musicians, we get scared about organic reception. I try to understand marketing heavily. And with marketing comes the breakdown of organic reception, right? Because if I run ads, yes, it's still organic, but it's a little less organic than just letting the music in the void of just out there do what it does. And to me, it's I've been blown away because this is probably the first time I, I spent all my money on just making it. So I don't have that much money to market it. But the people sharing it, the people giving it to their friends and, and just using their platforms to, you know, shine some light on it. It's mind boggling. So, yeah, nah, I say it enough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy to me. I mean, I got to say, though, bro, like you're very good at marketing. I discovered yeah, you man. through social media. Your marketing capabilities are fantastic. I feel like you are a very good example of what independent artists should do in order to promote their music on social media. So keep that shit up, man. You're, you're very good <laughs> at it. And it's the only reason I genuinely know who you are, because I'm not very good at researching independent artists, you know, you <laughs> bring them to me. It's tough it's a hard thing to do you know it's a lot of shit no 100 percent. i think that's one of my biggest things that's why four years ago when i said i wanted i wanted to make this a serious thing i was like okay what are the ways you you know set yourself apart and what is what you're posting say about you but not only what you're posting how are you in the world does it connect to you know your virtual self and things like that just going forward i've kind of you know gone crazier and Luckily, I have people around me who help me with my crazy ideas. I'm happy it's received, though. I think that's the yeah, that's the best part. When you're marketing, you never know if it's, if it's going across well until somebody tells you it is. So. <laughs> that's yeah, dope. Nah, for sure. You seem like humorous and like good to be around. So that's how your personality <laughs> comes dope. across to me. So I felt, I felt comfortable reaching out to you. No, that's dope. I even said it at the show yesterday. I was like, for me, I don't like the idea of calling people fans. So like to me, it's like, if you listen to my music, you share my shit, you're the same thing as family, right? Because you're trying to help me eat. You know what I mean? I try to keep that open connection. If you DM me in any sense of the word, bro, I message it. There's people who DM me talking about, like, yeah, they like my song. And then they, we just gone into a spiel about how they're making music now and just any advice and da-da-da. Or something completely different, just, like, life stuff. I try to keep that as open as possible just because, you know, everybody who listens to my stuff you don't have to you know and so when you do it's like bro you, you don't know how you're changing my life so the least i could do is have a conversation and most times they're the conversations are blessings anyways word man of the people 100 percent, man. so yeah man i've been digging it i've been digging the project loving the blend of sounds there you got rap you got some jazz in there r&b gospel mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. do you come up with your style? Did you come out like this or do you think uh-huh. that you had to like, work your way to get there? Well, I think after Sunset Demos, where it was really just me experimenting sounds and just doing whatever I could over YouTube beats. When I linked up with um, Brandon John out in New York three years ago, we really started sowing the seeds of like what sonic direction we wanted to go in. Mm. I will say Brandon John, Eric Penn, Eric Penn co-wrote I still love you. And he's just a, a big impact. Like he's literally the big homie. But our sessions and 
their sonic ears cut through mm. and really kind of guided me in my direction of like, okay, what are some of the points I need to like bring in? What should I look into? Stuff like that. So like as far as the sound mm. goes, it was very much a group push. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not really into R&B too much. So that really comes from Brandon and Eric's deep, deep, deep knowledge of R&B and them like yelling at me. <laughs> like we had sessions where no music would get made. We're sitting there. And they're like, you haven't listened to who knows what album it was. But like, I remember it was like the Speaker Box album. Which one was it? It was like the mm-hmm. collab album, the Love Below and Speaker the, Box. The like, yeah. They're like, you haven't listened to it? I was like, no. They're like, how? Have you never? And I was just like, bro. I was like, I haven't. And then so they're like, no, when you go home on this bus ride, you have to listen to it. Blah, blah, blah. So those conversations and, you know, just being in spaces with them really helped me figure out what direction I wanted to go to. As far as the R&B portion, the gospel, Mm -hmm. the hip hop, the jazz, that's just like, I grew up in a church. Worship, like my favorite portion of being in church, you know, just that feeling you get, you know, and I kept telling Brandon even, I was like the outro, even before we had the outro, even when we were working on like just the middle of the tape, I can tell him, I was like, but the outro is gonna feel like a worship song. Once you got the R&B in it, everything else kind of just felt natural. Honestly, it didn't come across like you weren't a student of the R&B game because you have some really great melodies and you have a great voice as well. Thank you. I am kind of shook that you haven't heard Speaker Box Love Below. I'm sure you did at that point, but you know. Oh yeah, I love it now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic, (laughs) of course. Like I do the reviewing thing and there's so much music out there that I haven't listened to that I don't want to get to. So I'll cut you some slack, but. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's a couple of R&B tapes that I I think I should have known that I didn't (laughs) know, right? It's like a blanket statement. I'm like, I really don't like early 2000s music, right? But that's a blanket statement because it's like, no, early 2000s music is the golden age of music. You didn't like mainstream maybe early 2000s music, but there's so much there. And that's what they really highlighted for me. And, you know, with me being an open ear and I like, like I said, I always try to study. So for me, I just like shut up, went home on the bus, played an album came back and was just like, oh my God, this song from the album, that song from the album, it's all crazy. Just kind of first reactions. (laughs) Going back to the project, some of your most personal work to date, because I've listened to some of the older stuff too, mm-hmm. topics of religion, you got family, struggling relationships mm-hmm. on there too. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily have to go into details, but a lot of the tracks kind of allude to a relationship, especially like Without You, I Still Love You, even Angels Just Call Me. Was this album a lot of you like getting some shit off of your chest? And what compelled you to put a lot of that stuff in the work? The biggest thing for me is connectivity and overarching storytelling, you know? And I think a lot of people don't know it because I, I just wasn't very vocal with it when I was putting it out sunset demos because I just you know it's kind of like again those demos so I just was putting pieces together but that was the first part of an overarching story while this is the second part of an overarching story really if you follow kind of like the broad strokes of what sunset demos was and where the relationship went in sunset demos this was really kind of what like the next portion was, you know, it was like, I had to talk about this because it's only natural in the storytelling process. But as far as this connection to me, it's my story. It's the first time I think I've made records where I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not taking somebody else's situation and putting it into words. I'm like, these are emotions, feelings, thoughts that I've held, that I've had personally. And yeah, no, it just comes across that way. And uh, it definitely, I think, helps with the connection to other people too, because it's like, you might find yourself in those same positions. You know what I mean? You might find yourself feeling those same things, thinking those same things. You know what I mean? So, yeah, nah, but it's me. Like, it's that, that's no lie. I mean, me and my girl, we talk, we're very open with like just, you know, our relationship and stuff like that. And I think I always say, I don't have a career in music if it isn't for my girlfriend. 
You know what I mean? Like, none of this shit is possible. She's the reason why some of my first singles came out years back because of her. She helped me figure out the ideas for it. And me being able to write more music from our experiences and be able to put them into words, I think is helping with just, you know, getting it out there. Right. That's beautiful, man. Love is beautiful, huh? Hey, man, it is. But then when it's not working, it hurts. <laughs> that's what, yeah, I think that's oh, what Angel Coffee is like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, man, like Angels Don't Call Me, fantastic track. We've talked about it before. I love the gospel influence. It is the title track and the album name. What do you mean by Angels Don't Call Me? What does that phrase mean to you? I think every man, when I'm writing this, I think it's very specific to men, right? The way society has raised us, you know, the things that we've been like raised up to see, we all get to a point where you kind of realize what you had, right? After you were doing whatever you were doing, right? And it's like, damn. You know, some people have enough balls to be like, let me try to get it back. And then some people are just like, well, you know, I lost one, right? And so Angels Don't Call Me is that moment, right? The song itself is that moment when you realize. And then the tape in itself is like, what do you do after you realize? You know, you realize it's an angel that you had. And you just try to get her to answer the phone. And if she doesn't pick up, people like me, you keep trying. You keep calling. You, keep, you know what I mean? You, you, you say whatever you can. And, and if you end up with a filled inbox, where does that leave yeah. you? One bar I wanted to point out that kind of stuck with me. It was on the intro track, Forgotten. And it's, uh, I've been searching for inner peace in these places that ain't safe for me. And yeah. I'm wondering, like, what do you mean? Like, what places aren't safe for you? Yeah, man. I think, like, we, as people, we give ourselves to so many people. At least, like, I mean, when I was growing up. If you knew me in high school and you know me now, I'm two different people, right? Like, I was so social. I was on the phone every night. That kind of trickled over into, like, my first two years a bit in college where I was just social. I was out on the town. I was, you know, moving around crazy. But it was really in a search. And I found after some reflection, it was just some other shit, you know? It was like a search to really kind of, like, cover up some insecurities, a search to kind of cover up. You know, just not even cover up, such to kind of be somebody, you're not even sure you like that person. That one came so naturally because it, it really was true. I was I was literally going to parties and, and just like moving and doing things, dressing ways that I just, you know, I just didn't like. And so I was searching to try to find peace with those things. And I think the cool thing about that line in the context of Angels Don't Call Me the Tape is it's also still not in its truest form, right? Because... I'm saying that as I'm searching for peace in places that ain't safe for me, but I'm trying to impose that on another person that they need to be my peace, right? And it's like, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is if you don't find peace within yourself, another person's not going to bring that for you, right? And so that's definitely one of those like cool things that I really wanted to get across when I was writing. Do you feel like you're moving closer to that authentic self that you want to be? You still, it's a work in progress. What do you think? Um, man, I think it's always working. You know, I think it's always it's always a thing where no matter what, you're you're finding new challenges, you're finding new vices, and you're trying to get past them. But I think for me, I'm way more aware of myself, right? I'm way more attentive to myself. You know, in certain spaces, my girlfriend will say I don't take care of myself, but that's just because I'm crazy and I need to get my ideas out. This period that I am talking about on the tape, it allowed me a chance to really reflect and realize that I need to take care of who I am to be who I want to be. I think no matter what, it's always going to be a work in progress. But the best thing is to be aware that you need to be working on that. Agreed 100%. Going back a little bit to the music, checked out some of your earlier work. You talked about Suicide Bomber. You've always had kind of like this knack for like alt hip hop, combining some bars with this like melodic flow. Yeah. yeah. 
And from the jump, it sounded like you had this comfortability on the mic, like you've been doing it for years. I mean, was this always <laughs> the case? Like when you first started making music back in like eighth grade with the homies, like yeah. did you feel like there was comfort there or did you have to work up to it? 2018 is like when I really kicked it into gear and said I'm going to make this serious. But when I dropped Complexity Simplicity, one of my, my best friends, like literally one of my best friends in the world, her name is Miriam, she came up to me and was like, you need to work on your voice. And I was like, what? She was like, you're saying really good things, but like your voice doesn't, she didn't say it like this, but the way I took it was your voice isn't captivating enough, right? It doesn't hit me enough, right? And so, and again, one thing I pride myself on is that anybody, I'm talking about anybody, even people who comment under posts, like where people be like, oh, they're haters. Like mm-hmm. I take it and I like actually take it. My mom taught me, she said, literally there's no difference between a fool and a rich man. Like everybody has wisdom, you know? So to me, I'm like, she told me that. And literally I went home and did a lot more vocal training, the way I would rap, I would work on my voice. I deepened it a bit more when it came to like how I'm saying certain words, you know? And I, I really found that voice, you know? And that's what Suicide Bomber was. That's why I think that's why I connected so much because it was that time where people, you would hear it and your head would turn a little bit like, oh, like, who is this kid? You know, before you would hear it and you'd be like, oh, it sounds like a kid on the track, right? But now, and also I think, also I matured. My voice itself naturally deepening and, you know, just kind of stuff like that. It really just helped make my voice a little more impactful than where it was. So, yeah, no, it was not always like that. If you hear some of the earlier stuff, <laughs> yeah, that was not like that. But my friend having enough confidence in me to want me to have a more impactful voice, it put a battery in my back and confidence in my words. And, and luckily, I've been talking about real shit, so easy for me just to have confidence in what I'm saying the most important thing when it comes to a rapper like rapping in general is really like your delivery you know the confidence Mm -hmm. up on the mic somebody can write a catchy hook somebody can write some cool like conscious shit but if you're coming up to the mic and it doesn't sound like you believe what you're saying then you're probably not going to get the attention like delivery is Mm -hmm. so important so my girl i say it all the time it's a narcissistic sport not with the connotation the negative connotation that narcissism brings it's just that you really have to completely believe in yourself mm-hmm. to the point where it feels narcissistic at sometimes that what you're saying is like some of the greatest shit on earth like when we was writing and i was in the middle of writing you couldn't tell me shit like you could not mm-hmm. tell me it wasn't the greatest verse ever written on planet earth right but that's just because i need that level of confidence if i'm going to stand right. by microphone and also make you believe it also another thing i wanted to bring up is did you always know that you could sing Cause I feel like it takes rappers time to get that side out of them, you know, like yeah. you know, Jids and stuff of the world. They like yeah. even Kendrick, you know, it's a, that yeah. melodic flavor didn't come early, so it seemed like you had it from the jump. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, I, I think I've told people this from the jump, where I'm like, I rap. Like, so when people be like, "Oh, so you're a rapper?" I'd be like, "Nah, rap's just the <laughs> medium to speak through right now. Like, if mm-hmm. I could learn to sing like the way people I want to sing like, I'd only sing, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like." rap's just a medium i can speak to you through and you actually listen so i've always been singing when i first got introduced to pharaoh gang they brought me in to sing they didn't know i could rap it was never something i was super confident in and even to the point where even on um sunset demos the only time i felt confident singing on it i deepened the vocals because i didn't want you know i just didn't want it to feel bare i got you know tyler created shit i pitched it up I, right. I, pitched, I don't want you to see me but then brandon john and Eric Penn. And Eric Penn's a phenomenal singer, probably one of the best singers I've ever worked with and honestly sometimes ever heard. He put the battery in my back and Brandon put the battery in my back when them, these really like, again, these are R&B like heads, like their ears are trained for good voices. And when they keep telling me, no, you sing that part, 
You know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, 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 you sing that part. What, what are you talking about? Like, of course you're going to sing that part. You can sing. Stop doing that. You know, and th- those moments like that, they gave me the confidence I needed to the point where I made a whole R&B track with If You Must Go, which was not produced with Brandon and Eric, but the confidence they gave me allowed me to even be open to make that in a different session away from them. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you opened the album with I've been searching. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, ooh, so you definitely yeah. got it. Definitely got it, man. And like that yeah. ability to intertwine those genres is huge, especially nowadays. So, you know, keep at it for sure. Nah, thank um, you. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, because my next stuff, whatever the next thing is, I mean, I've already started working on it. So I'm not going to talk like it's not there. But the next yeah. thing is very much in that vein of like utilizing my voice on the front end rather than my rapping right so i think on this one i use my rapping still heavily and then my voice as like a secondary and my next take is really trying to switch those around it's just me practicing trying to get my voice stronger confidence in my voice which is good because now with me like performing it forces you to understand your voice okay how do i want to sing that how do i have to control my breath to do that and you know just a strengthening different portion so i'm blown away with people liking it so that's <laughs> that to me that to me is a confidence booster through the roof so yeah you definitely hear more singing from me getting into that what are your thoughts for new music i know you want to do a little bit more singing but how about experimenting with genres is there anything like that that you got going into the future oh yeah the next the next thing is weird like it's it's just weird i'm we started making that in 2020 with my friend his name is cameron smith out in Richmond, Virginia, we we started making what the, ended up being the beginning of the next tape. It's weird shit, man. It's all over the place. It has funk. It has jazz. It has it's alternative. Is like literally the sense we can only put it in because we whenever we finish a song, we look at each other and we go, "That's just weird shit." But like, it sounds good as hell, man. Mm. You know, so <laughs> I'm really focused on angels don't call me. I think. I'm trying to get out of that mindset. So next year, I'm definitely going to, I'm trying to just get as many collabs in as I can. I love collabing. They're so fun. You know, it's just kind of with people combining minds. So trying to get those in, really just palate cleanse and then, you know, get back into the weird shit. I want to be able to circle back, have another conversation with you and for you to be like, okay, so I didn't expect that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Listen, bro, weird shit is music to my ears. I love weird shit. So I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope so, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, for me, I, I pride myself in sitting in the genre of alternative hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's something I'm very prideful of because to me, I think that's who I am in the truest sense, right? Mm-hmm. My influences are what, you know, I might one day make a, a country song, but I might also the next day make boom bap track but then the next day i might you know try to make a a rap pop song whatever the fuck it may be it's like i like the idea that i can't be put in a box sonically right Mm -hmm. and i I strive for myself to continually stay on that wave so my influences have allowed me the open mind tyler's the future him winning two grammys isn't a small task and it's it's a telling that as a society alternative hip-hop and music that never stays the same is what's going to be impactful in the next generation so I'm just trying to set myself up to be in that forefront too. Absolutely. You're on the path, my man. This leads to this question. What do you want people to take from your music? Angels don't call me or just your music in general. What mm-hmm. what type of impact are you trying to make? I want people to be able to find themselves in it. I'm telling a story. I'm telling my story. And at the end of the day, the best music and I think the best experiences with music are those that are just that. They're an experience. And they become a soundtrack to a portion of your life. And I, I even said it to people. I haven't asked anybody what they thought about the EP. Like, you know, on stories, people go like, what y'all think about the EP? 
I think I'm not going to even ask at least until like, you know, at the end of the first month or the end of like two months, because this is music you live with, you know, and this is music you, you go about your life with. And, and it might be that your song, favorite song is pressure today. Cause you're feeling, you know, just pressure and you're feeling like, you know, you're feeling like you need to get up out of wherever you're at, but then you might find out that the next favorite song for you is I will wait for you. Cause you feel that yearning for somebody or whatever the fuck it might be, you know? So only thing I want you to take from it is to take your time with it, live with it, and find yourself within it. Last question for you before we get up out of here. Any last message for the fans out there? Anything that you want to leave with people who are fans of you or people who aren't fans of you? I'd say I want to leave with thank you. 2022 has been above my expectations. And, and anybody who's heard it, anybody who's supported this, I want to say thank you so much. And to prep for 2023 because... The goal is to take over the world. So I've had plans for the past three years. I've executed plans for the past three years. So if my plan is to take over the world in 2024, we're on a good track. World domination. Hope that it goes there. <laughs> hope it gets there. Hey, there you go. Yeah, so just get ready. That. I love the confidence. It's all about the confidence. <laughs> I got so much crazy shit, man. I'm, we could chat about some of that at this end, but <laughs> I got so much in the works that it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be a crazy year. Hell yeah, 100%. Well, my man, Saki, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Please check out Saki on streaming and social media. You want to plug your shit real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah, You can find me everywhere um, under the name S-A-E-K-Y-I. That's Spotify, Apple Music, Instagram, Twitter, Deezer, anywhere you listen to and anything, any social media you're on. TikTok, too. I, I like TikTok. So <laughs> pop up on there and, you know, just hit me with a follow and hey if you listen to it come talk to me dm me i promise you i'll respond and yeah. thanks for having me brother it's, i've been a fan of you i found like i think i found you on tiktok specifically first and i might have been through my homies but i think by myself and i just i love what you're doing i love the consistency and the quality of work that you put in and i'm just really happy you had me word appreciate the love brother for y'all fans out there check out my other interviews we got more music content Frequency Podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'll catch y'all later.